This is Patriots Playbook. The legend. Be nice to Faith when you call in on the show today. Or else. Yes. I've seen this team <laughs> lose <laughs> in sp- so many spots where I felt like they were going to pull it out. Kiss of death. Yeah. And, and I just don't understand how that's even professional caliber football being played when you know you're in an obvious situation and your quarterback is going to be in the end zone and you still whiff on the play. So I, I agree with you finally. Yeah, I'm, well, thank you. You're welcome. I, I feel like I've been right on along, but nobody pays any attention. So, like, continuing to just do the same thing is the definition of an- insanity. Yes, thank point. you. And that, that's my point is that the, the, what we're embarking upon now is sheer insanity. Now, here's your host of Patriots Playbook, John Rook. But we like insanity. We live by insanity. Hey, they got the ball first and they won. Thank you. They didn't. They thank wasn't you. because they they elected to get the ball first. But I understand that, but sometimes you need to be hit up the side of the head with an idiot stick <laughs> to realize it, right? Hey, it, it, it worked. It, I, it's all I'm saying. It won wor- the game. Just a, a change-up. Yeah. Uh, uh, a slider, a curve. It did uh, help that they, you know, actually had a good opening script to yes. go down the field. And Stop throwing fastballs down the middle, okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe they won't get tattooed out of the park. I have to use that, you know, baseball because uh, yeah. my Texas Rangers are in the World Series. Uh, yeah, congratulations. So, eh, well, I've really been more of a Red Sox fan. Good. You know, for pretty much the last 40 years. But but I grew up a Rangers fan because they came to Arlington yeah. from Washington where they were the Senators uh, when I was a teenager. Yeah. You know, I was 13 years old when they arrived in town. So, yeah, how could you not be a Major League Baseball fan, you know, of a team that absolutely stunk. I mean, they lost like 110 games or something the first year. It was unbelievable. So yeah. I'm kind of happy. And, and now that they're playing the Diamondbacks, because I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that like the Phillies around, at least up in the Northeast anyway. And I thought the Phillies were the best team start to finish in the NL anyway. Yeah. Hey, you guys can talk Bruins. I can talk baseball. What That's the hell, fine. right? But I mean, well, yeah, me and Deuce here, and I do two understood. Bruins people. I understood. Paul understood. Too. It's all right. It's all right. I watched a little of that game last night too, uh, and uh, I, I just I thought the Phillies were the best team. So the Diamondbacks are in. I don't think it's a shoe in, but I actually like the Rangers' chances a little bit better. Yeah, well, they're well, literally of, mashing it right now. There's a lot of Red Sox ties with the Diamondbacks. Their manager and their GM are both Red Sox people. I'll take it. So I'm sure a lot of people in Boston that probably care, yeah that would root for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I get it. I totally yeah. understand that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, coming into the stadium today, what did they do to the parking? You know, in the in the lot, you know, nearest, you know, where yeah. we go in. It's Why do they put those concrete barriers in there and then rope off? It looks like a freaking maze. I don't know. What is the deal? I don't know. There's there's always something going on here. They finally find a job they could give to Malik Cunningham. <laughs> that was mean. Uh, I'm just poor Malik. Man, no, I'm just. I'm just. I thought maybe they were going to try to keep him around. You know, so like, oh, let's give yeah. him a parking job because no one else can do it right. <laughs> The <laughs> you can hear you can hear Marine laugh on the other side of the glass in the other room Dude, you on don't, that one. You don't get <laughs> Marine doesn't laugh like that at us too no. often. Usually, you know, our our dumb jokes don't usually no they don't know, get the they don't Marine. resonate. No, no. <laughs> that one resonated with yeah. I think Marine anyway. Yeah, yeah. I felt bad. I, I really felt bad. But I mean, so why? Why did they do it? Why? Why did they decide to? To waive him after all the talk, and especially after the the re up of the contract, and I guess they have on pretty good authority he's going to make it through waivers here. I mean, you, I guess I, I, I don't know. I look, I've never been, and it's not a, anything against Malik Cunningham, but I've never been like a big believer in Malik Cunningham. I, I've always thought, first of all, and I people that have listened since the spring will know this. 
him as a receiver, I have absolutely zero interest in. Zero. Like, the guy, from everything that we have seen as a receiver, cannot play receiver at this level. It like I, he just can't. All right, like, I'm not gonna take a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I and and that that's the bottom line. Yeah. As a as developing him as a dual threat quarterback, that's more interesting to me. Uh, but it still to me is too far away to the point where he's a practice squad guy and he's developing on the practice squad. He had really the the one good drive against Houston in the fourth quarter of the preseason game in the opener. Which, if you pulled up the 11 guys that were on the field for the Texans and the Patriots, you might find one or two that are on an NFL roster right now. And people made it out to be that this was the next coming. Like, this was this big thing. And I get it. It's a, He's an exciting young player uh, with the ball in his hands, and they don't have a mobile quarterback. So it's a little bit of, like, grass is greener on the other side for people. I get it. But I've never really believed in Malik Cunningham being anything of – substantial value to the Patriots and frankly I was pretty surprised that they even put him on the 53-man roster I think Bill O'Brien was a little surprised based off of his comments I think they were just intrigued at least by my impression just intrigued by his his sort of dual threat capability and that maybe he could also play somehow on the special teams and you know and and to keep a, a guy that might be able to with one person fill two or three different roster spots yeah was a good thing. Yeah. As it turns out, it, it's going to take a little more than that in order to be able yeah. to secure a spot. I, and then I think when he you know, played against the Raiders, and I, I don't want to like hold it too much against him because it was only six snaps, and how much can you really garner off of six snaps and two at quarterback? But the two at quarterback, both both read option design elements that they have with him in that Raiders game were an abject disaster. I mean, they lost mm-hmm. uh, five yards on one play and, and they, I think it was like a one yard handoff on, on the other play. Like they, they went ba- almost backwards on both plays. So I, I just, I don't really think it in a very, very small sample size, admittedly, it didn't really work against the Raiders and, you know, Belichick after the game was not really too, into it like he was asked about Malik Cunningham and what went into the decision to sign him to the 53 and make him active on game day and he said we had a lot of injuries you know I think speaking at wide receiver mainly with guys like Juju and Pop Douglas and these guys being out so now they're getting a little bit healthier at right. receiver and right. and you know Jalen Rager I think is a guy that plays a little bit more natural receiver that can contribute immediately instead of having to break him in Train like Malik and, yeah, yeah. Okay. it just it's a long shot. I hope that they're still. able. My my own personal thing here is I hope they're able to keep him and you know moving on to the uh, practice squad and let him continue to try to develop. That's yeah. I mean that's that's the best thing. You I I just him. I've always said it and it's they need to develop him at quarterback. Like he like develop he's not a wide receiver. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. So but that that just kind of falls in line, Evan, to some of the other wild and woolly things we've seen, you know, from the coaching staff philosophy over the last few years here. Yeah. It's like, why are we going to try to make him something he's not? Yeah. Like, I would have been far more interested in the Malik Cunningham story in training camp because the people that listen to us in camp know that I was like, this is a ridiculous experiment that's not going to work. I would have been so much more interested in talking about Malik Cunningham in August if he was training at quarterback. Right, and they were developing him at court, and we saw him every day in camp. At I would love to see. I would love to have seen him have a legit shot to supplant Bailey Zappi. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't, and that's the whole. That's the bottom line: is that by experimenting with him at wide receiver, 
they never gave him a shot to develop at quarterback. So it just it didn't really give him a great a great chance. Like I, no. I thought it was kind of a disservice to him yep. after he had a pretty good career at Louisville at quarterback to just be like, we're going to make you into a receiver. We're not really going to give you an opportunity to make the team as a QB, and, and here we are. Yeah. All right. So, at any rate, that's uh, that was part of the news this week. I, I guess the other big – well, there are a couple of other major stories, I guess. They're semi-major stories. Let's see. One, New England won a football game. <laughs> Two, Bill Belichick says he ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Just a typical day of the office. Yeah. Uh, the contract thing, um, I, I guess I uh, we haven't really talked too much about no, it. No, we haven't. Um, but I, I would fall mainly into the camp of I don't really necessarily look at the, the years or the length of the contract as like tying him to the Patriots for that amount of time because we see it all the time. Whichever direction it is, whether it's the coach deciding to leave or the team firing the coach, that contracts get ripped up at the coach level all the time. They get at the player level too, but like you know, specifically with coaches, I don't know how much contracts necessarily matter. Now, does it matter to the point where okay, if it's a lot of money, then maybe you don't want to buy them out? And I, I guess, yeah, I guess. But at the end of the day, if if Bill Belichick's on the chopping block because of performance reasons, because of football reasons. I don't think that a contract extension is going to prohibit the crafts from firing him. And that's just my opinion. But I, I think a lot of people make out, you know, if they did it with Malik Cunningham, yeah. oh, he signed a three-year contract. Yeah. Like he's on the team. Yeah, but uh, let's not make – it's not exactly what it appears to be. Yeah, yeah. and that's how I kind of feel uh, about with Belichick as well. Okay, well, and, and, and look, I can't say that – we didn't kind of know that maybe something like that was up anyway, even before all it came out, because the more we kept hammering on Bill and he needs to go and fans kept calling for, you know, especially locally, good gracious. I mean, it was, it was, you couldn't even listen to talk radio because it was so toxic uh, yeah. toward Bill. But at the same time, you just kind of felt like you know, if there really is something to it, it was going to come out. Sure enough, it did. And, and it, whether it was a leak, a plant, whatever you want to say, it was basically to me, my way of interpreting Bill saying, cut the noise. We still have a season to play here because you got now, uh, you're, you're you're seven games into the season. You, I mean, goodness gracious, you got ten more still to play. Yeah, that's a long time. Eleven more weeks to cover here. Three more months still to play football. Yeah, and and it's like we we can't be dealing with that now. And so we have no shot at at pulling out of the morass here unless we put this behind us. Now, that doesn't mean that Bob Crab, Mr. Crab, couldn't still decide to do something just means that he might owe him some money depending on the terms of the contract but herein lies the beauty of the deal and it's all speculative we don't know because none of the terms of the contract will ever be made public likely yeah i mean the fact that this much was made public was uh, it was even, a shock yeah it tells me that you know hey all right enough's enough i'm gonna leak it to ian rapaport and that's basically what i interpret what happened yeah i i just i think when it comes to this season and i i had I'm not just saying this because he he signs my checks, uh, but you know when it comes to the season uh, w- with the crafts and, and Mr. Craft in particular, I, I think the patience that you have to be able to show as an owner is hard because deep down, like you know, he says it all the time. He's a Patriots fan. Right? He grew up a Patriots fan, wow. is a Patriots fan. That's what we all forget. Yeah, but you have to show. You, you make a very good point. 
Shocking. Did I just say that about him? Uh, he makes a very good point. The fact is, is that he has to not think like the fan he right. is. He has to think about the business and shut out the noise. And is this in the best interest of his business? I think we all realize that, you know, look, Bill's going to be Bill in a lot of different ways. But at the same time, Bill also can't be completely oblivious to, let's just say, uh, the NFL in 2023. And what's, yeah. what's occurring, because otherwise we would never have seen this team get faster defensively over the last couple of years. Yeah. They would never have seen, well, a quarterback like Mike Jones get uh, Mike Jones get drafted a couple of years, three years ago. Uh, they would have, you know, taken somebody else. Uh, so I'm just, the idea that he's, you know, lost it, that he's behind the times, that he doesn't know what he's doing any longer, whatever you want to say, and that's been the consensus from every fan that cares to tell me their opinion and i you know nod my head and say yeah well uh you know that's you know and and i i, I don't engage because nobody gets it nobody understands it fact of the matter is is that six super bowl championships okay uh the afc titles the 19 division titles whatever it is now 17 division i've lost count yeah that still counts in the eyes of the boss. Yeah. And it should still count in the eyes of everyone else. And I believe the man has earned his right to work out of this. Now, if he doesn't work out of it, it's a different story. How much room, and I know this is the big question, big follow-up, how much rope are we going to give him? Yeah. How much rope are we going to give Bill Belichick? Well, I think, you know, He's got the rest of this year. Uh, he just put out there in the last week that, you know, okay, maybe two, maybe even three years left. I always thought, to be honest with you, when we heard about the, the initial rumors uh, about the contract, was that 2025 would probably be about the cutoff because that would give him enough time, even in, in the really the, the worst of circumstances, I think that would give him enough time to pass Shula's record. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, like you said, the the resume gives him some buys him some time for to to get to a point where you know when we came off that New Orleans game and they lost two back to back games by a combined seventy two to three. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, myself included, if you had asked us, you know, in that moment, gun to your head, what, what are you keeping him or are you firing him? I think a lot of people in Patriots Nation would have said fire. Of right. course, because we right. all have you know knee-jerk reactions. Right, but emphasis on the word jerk. But craft, you know, and, and the way that you have to run a football team, you can't just jump off the bridge after every loss, right? And right. I, and so my whole thing is at this point, and I was you know very ex- excited, complimentary, whatever you want to put it about the game yesterday about beating Buffalo. At this point, you have to wait it out and watch the whole body of work. If we get to the end of the season. And they are a four or five win football team. Then we have a conversation. If we get to the end of the season and they're middling again, but the arrow is not really pointing upwards, I still have the conversation. But my, I think you have to have the conversation regardless. I, I, I do think even if this team wins, that, ten, even if this team wins ten in a row, I think you still have to have a conversation. Yeah, I just think that there's a chance that this team has the arrow pointed in the upward direction and they win. You know what? There's ten games left, so let's say they win eight out of ten, and mm-hmm. may- maybe they don't make the playoffs. You know, mm-hmm, I think eight would mm-hmm. probably put them in. So let's say they they win six or seven out of ten, yeah. and they finish eight and nine. But they they had a really good second half of the year. Then maybe you can convince me that that he stays. I, I think when it comes to the personnel decisions, that the main thing is is just the offensive game is moving in a different direction. 
the offensive game nowadays is all about space. It's about getting speed in space and having number one receivers and having high-flying passing games. Miami and, Dolphins, hello. And all those pl- things. And the Patriots are, are still playing football in a phone booth. Yeah, yeah. And these other teams are playing football because that's all what over he knows best. That's what he knows best. He right. knows how to to bully people yeah. best. That you know, defense, blah blah blah. And I know that you need a defense to win, but it's not all that it takes to win in this day and age. There's got to be more. And I think that's the part that Bill has had the hardest time with. Hence, bring in Bill O'Brien to come in and try to spruce this thing up. The problem yeah. is, is that I'm not sure that the personnel is ready to be where Bill O'Brien wants to take it on offense. Yeah. I think they've still got work to do on the personnel end, whether that's Matt Groh, whether that's Bill, whether that's a combination of the two, whether they bring in someone else from the outside. That's still a work in progress. That's the conversation that really needs to be had once this season is over. Yeah. All right. Yep. So uh, Chad Graff, who covers the uh, the Patriots and the NFL for the Athletic, is going to join us here early in the program. So uh, are you taking off then? Is that it? You're done? Okay. So Evan's going because we got a change in the, the locker room interview times today. So that's why Chad has been uh, kind enough to join us here. And then thank you, Ev. And then um, uh, Russell Baxter will be along in hour number two. Armando Salguero from the Outkick. A longtime NFL contributor and follower of the Miami Dolphins, former beat writer for the Dolphins, in fact, for the Miami Herald. He'll join us here in about 15 minutes. In the meantime, Chad Graff joining us here in the playbook. Chad, what what are your thoughts on what Evan and I were just talking about in terms of Bill Belichick, the game passing him by? Do they still have a conversation about maybe moving some things around in terms of getting the Patriots ducks in a row in the offseason? Yeah, well, good to be part of this line change uh, with Evan as we quickly transition <laughs> on the fly. But uh, I, I think that you're completely right um, where you got to have a conversation at the end of the year, regardless of how it happens. That uh, Any talk, I think, of something happening midseason is a little bit crazy. Kind of let's see what happens. Let the Ducks, you know, play out. Let's see, um, you know, where that arrow is pointed at the end. And I think everybody – can recognize that this personnel, you know, probably doesn't match up with the three or four best in the league. So let's kind of see what Bill is able to do with this personnel and then make decisions after that about who gets to make the final call on personnel and things like that. So um, it's a little bit too early for all of that. But at the same time, I don't think it's overstating things to say that a ton rides on this game against the Dolphins on Sunday. Like if you're at two wins at that point, going into a pretty easy stretch with Washington and Indianapolis and the Chargers don't look as good. Like you, you've got some winnable games coming up that if you can sneak out an upset over the Dolphins, all of a sudden the season is trending way, way uh, up. But if you're still at one win after week eight, then, you know, there are some tougher conversations that probably. Yeah. And, and I was just going to say, I know that, uh, you know, I, the first question I got asked by a neighbor friend of mine this week was, Hey, should we start thinking about, you know, January again? And I'm like, what are you, are you, <laughs> <laughs> did the train hit you in the head? What's your problem? Uh, no. And I said, look, this team gets to five and five. Okay. Then I'd be, I'd be convinced they're, they're back in the mix until that point in time. This is, put blinders on, go one week at a time, just try to get a little bit better, uh, you know, see if you can improve from week to week. And it certainly would start with a team like Miami. The interesting thing about Miami, Chad, before because uh, I don't want to lose sight of the Buffalo game just yet, but interesting thing about Miami that I just I noticed this morning when I'm looking at their stuff, 
they haven't beaten a team. Uh, uh, they've only uh, wait. They've only played. Wait, let me get it right. They've only played two teams with winning records. They've lost both of those games. Yeah, yeah. They've just beaten up on on some bad teams and done it in a way that you know is so emphatic. Hanging seventy on the Broncos, right. that yeah. they become the talk of the league. Yep. Um, uh, amazingly, and, and this could all look really dumb in four days, but amazingly, I do think that the Patriots, as far as one-win teams against uh, five-win teams go, I think that they match up pretty well against the Dolphins. I think that Bill's defense uh, against this high-powered Miami offense has shown to be good. The Patriots have shown to be one of the few teams that can slow down Tyreek Hill. And then offensively for the Patriots, I think that this new thing that Bill O'Brien is doing, built on short passes and um, a better running game, I, I think that that can work well against Vic Fangio, who is the Dolphins' defensive coordinator, and likes to play you know, with two deep safeties, and his whole thing is to take away the big explosive plays. Well, I think that Bill O'Brien looks at that and says, great, we're going to throw three-yard passes to Demario Douglas, and if you want to give him room to run, like, have at it. So. You know, maybe this looks crazy in four days, but for now I do think that the Patriots match up pretty well against the Dolphins. All right. I'll get back to the Dolphins again, but before I lose sight of Buffalo, what was the most surprising aspect of the win over the Bills this past weekend? And and I say this because the Patriots were only barely um, – What's a good way to phrase this? I'm looking for the correct terminology. I think Buffalo outscrewed up the Patriots. Really is is I guess where I'm yep. going with this, but it was only by a slim margin. Does that say anything about the talent level of the two teams? Does it say anything about the injuries that Buffalo has suffered? And keep in mind the Patriots have suffered two major injuries on their own defense. I'm just curious to what your, you know, what your 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 after the fact aspect of that win over Buffalo uh, is today. Yeah, I think the most surprising thing for me was how clean the Patriots' offense was. We've seen them have so many interceptions and pick sixes and fumbles and sacks and just sloppy play. And there were still probably too many penalties. And, and there was an officiating crew that certainly oh my knew God. where that uh, yellow flag was in their pocket. Those guys were unbelievable, weren't they? That was Cleet yeah, Bakeman, so right? That part, I'm not as worried. But yes, it yeah, was. Yeah. So they, yeah. they, I think they wanted some time on TV and made sure that they, uh, they got their faces out there. But um you know, for an offense that just always it seemed like took one step forward and then two back, they finally progressed the right way where they weren't shooting themselves in the foot and they weren't uh, turning the ball over and they weren't giving up tons of sacks. Like that offensive line performance, you know, if you want to zero in and look more specifically, maybe that was the most surprising thing to me of how well the offensive line did once Michael went and moved to right tackle. Yeah. Yeah, that to me was, I mean, I, I heard all the, the hubbub from the press box, I think, down where I'm located before the game, and that, that was overwhelmingly the universal uh, you know, tidbit that came out of the pregame. So it was, oh, the Owenu has finally been moved to right tackle. And clearly the offensive line had one of its better efforts of the entire year, which brought on, I'm sure, a lot of smug, I told you so, uh, responses from said members of the media. Uh, but, you know, I, I think all we wanted was just another change, and let's move somebody out that could be somewhat competent at right tackle. And I think that's really more that what happened than anything else. And the fact is, Owenu's been hurt, so he hadn't been able really to get out there. Right, and uh, not just get out there, but he's a bigger guy, and this has been an ankle injury. Uh, you, you better be able to move if you're playing right tackle against some of these speedy edge rushers, yeah. including against Miami. Miami has some speedy edge rushers. So 
you know, I, I think it was a positive sign, a step in the right direction and something that they should keep, but also keep an eye on that ankle injury because, you know, those don't just get solved overnight. Right. Yep, no question. All right, so uh, Chad Graff, who covers the Patriots uh, for The Athletic, joining us here in the playbook. Turn the page from Buffalo to Miami specifically. You've already mentioned that. You actually believe this is a bit of a, of a, of a good matchup for the Patriots in particular. But, you know, with, with, with Miami, it, it all starts with figuring out a way to slow down, which the Patriots actually did kind of do, you know, uh, earlier this season already. But they've got to figure out a way to generate some offense on the other side to make this a game. Do they play Miami similarly to what they did in September, or should they just scrap that and come out, out with something completely different this time around? No, I do, I do think you stick with a lot of what you did. Like, Bill Belichick has had more success than any coach at slowing down Tyreek Hill. So I think that you build on some of that. I think it helps that Jack Jones is healthy and Jonathan Jones is healthy and your cornerback group uh, seems to be trending in the right direction um, after the Gonzalez injury. So you keep all of that and build off all of that to me more of the question is was that a one game aberration from the offense was that kind of a surprising thing that the bills didn't see coming and that mac jones's um average pass went three yards past the line of scrimmage which is in the first percentile of games since 2010 or is that something that you can build on is the success with demario douglas an area that you can continue to kind of spam that easy button um the success that they had in the running game can they continue that? The offensive line's better performance. You know, is that something that can be consistent now with Unwenu at right tackle? So those are the big questions to me, uh, which, you know, is kind of bizarre. I think most teams, when they're preparing for the Dolphins, the questions are, how are you going to cover this team? And yet, I think it's, it's a little bit different for the Patriots where the questions are about how their offense matches yeah. up with Miami's defense. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I know you wrote about it in The Athletic yesterday. You know What the Patriots did offensively against Buffalo was a pleasant surprise, I think, to most observers. But what they did is it's sustainable beginning with you know what they're going to face with, uh, with Miami. Yeah, and you know I, I do think that the Vic Fangio part of it is intriguing, just the way that he plays defense and, and that his scheme has gotten so popular that um, I think Demario Douglas is kind of the guy to watch. And I know we've talked about him a ton and you guys have talked about him a ton going all the way back to training camp when he was doing so well. But mm-hmm. if you're going to beat a defense like this, you need guys on underneath routes who are able to, you know, have yards after the catch. And he probably more than any other player in this wide receiver group can do that. So I'll be curious to see, how involved the Patriots make him. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine that they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> figure out as long as he's healthy, as long as he's clear of the doghouse, that he wouldn't be continue to be a significant part of what the Patriots are doing because it's pretty clear. There are two guys uh, on that side of the ball that can be game changers for the Patriots, and neither one of them is Devontae Parker. It's him and it's Kendrick Bourne. So why wouldn't you try to continue to do what worked well? And what worked well against Buffalo was the short passing game. And I'm wondering, even though, eh, I don't know, with Miami defensively, if that's altogether the best thing to do. But then again, if you're starting to get into the groove and you're starting to just kind of figure this out, Chad, why wouldn't you kind of continue with that success until somebody stops it? 100%. Like, it, it took this Patriots offense a long time to kind of 
find its footing and figure out with this personnel and this health situation and this offensive line situation to find something that worked. And so now that you have found something that worked, like I, I would be hard pressed to stray away from that, even if the Patriots and even if Bill Belichick more than any other team and any other coach like to be game plan specific and like to switch things up just based on who you're playing. Uh, boy, I would have a hard time switching things up too much. Like, I, th- I think it was pretty telling, too, that on the very first play of the game, mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien goes straight to Demario Douglas. Uh, just because the other team knows that may be coming, I think you still keep going with that. Yeah, and you mentioned something in your piece, I know, that kind of came as a surprise to me because I'm not uh, a big PFF guy, a big uh, pro football focus guy, but City's so graded as the second best guard in the entire NFL in Week 7. Is that right? Isn't that crazy? That's 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 insane. As much as we banged on him and Antonio Maffi this year, but for City So to step up and grade out that well, that tells me that line had a had a hell of a day. For sure, and I think something Bill Belichick said today kind of speaks to that. Of you know, they were more willing to move him from tackle to guard, and you could try him out at tackle in camp and in the preseason to kind of see how it goes, while knowing the whole time that you had that in your back pocket that you could switch him back to guard if you needed. And the Patriots certainly needed to. And thankfully for them, uh, he was able to kind of quickly remember all the footstep differences in guard as opposed to tackle and turned in a, a really good performance at a time the Patriots really needed some help on the interior offensive line. All right, so a final one then for you, Chad. What do you think is sustainable? What should be sustainable for New England going forward? Do they try new things? Do they keep just trying to build on what they did last week? I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, uh, a lot of times you don't like to, you don't like to, you know, ruffle the, the feathers in the feather bed when things are just getting kind of nice and fluffy. I don't know if that's the right analogy that I want to use here, but I think you get the gist of what I'm going with. I do. Uh, so I think that this is going to work, and this new offensive look is going to work for the next three or four weeks. The defenses that they're playing don't rank uh, super high statistically over the next three or four weeks when you look at who's coming with Washington and Indianapolis after that. So mm-hmm. I think that the Patriots can find some success with this current plan. And then my question is, in a month or so, when you've gotten through that easy part of your schedule and teams have realized, okay, Demario Douglas is their top target and this is how they're going to attack us, uh, teams are going to adjust how they play the Patriots. And then the question becomes, do the Patriots have a counterpunch beyond this? So uh, in the short term, I think it's going to work well. And I guess my only questions are the long term. Yep. That would be the question, I think, for everybody at this stage of the game. Hey, Chad, thank you for the time today. Great to talk to you again. For sure. Thanks for having me. You got it. Chad Graff again from The Athletic, who covers the New England Patriots and the NFL for The Athletic. He's at Chad Graff, G-R-A-F-F, uh, on X. Armando Salguero, like, uh, uh best way to describe Armando is as he's been more than gracious to us with his time throughout the 20, 22 years that we've been hosting this show. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, a lot of that time as the Miami Dolphins beat reporter for the Miami Herald, he now covers the NFL as a senior writer for OutKick. And Armando, gracious again today with his time with us here in the playbook. Armando, I'm, the first thing I had to ask you today, though, was that you just did a piece, I think it was, what was it, yesterday, on, on uh, Josh Allen. 
and and getting you know you know some of his impressions on how it's been going. Actually, I saw it published earlier today. In fact, so what was your take on Josh Allen, and is he is he missing a little off of his fastball of late? Boy, <laughs> yeah. So Josh Allen is talking to reporters yesterday, and that's great because they're playing on Thursday. And he's explaining to them how in the last couple of weeks he's changed the way that he approaches how he thinks in a game. And what he tries to do is try to stay low, you know, not get too excited. And that allows him to think more because obviously a quarterback has to do a lot of thinking on the field. And then the next, in the next breath, he says, but maybe I should stop thinking so much and just play. <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> you know, and, and throughout the press conferences, he, he says one thing and then second guesses himself mm-hmm. and says, but, but maybe I won't do this. I want to do this, but maybe I won't. He's a walking, and, talking question mark. And that is showing uh, – in his play Mm -hmm. that is definitely showing in the fact that the last couple of years if you combine them he is among the nfl leaders in interceptions right now this is a supremely talented quarterback he's great but obviously he's got something going on where the uncertainty has crept in and i think it's the coaching frankly i you know he lost brian dayball to the giants and Kenny Dorsey, who's from, you know, played at the University of Miami, South Florida, um, just not, it's not the same. Yeah. It's just not the same. Is that why a lot of a lot of fans in Buffalo, from what I'm hearing, seem to be jumping uh, all over the head coach as well? Well, the head coach has basically got his hands full with the defense mm-hmm. because he kind of agreed to let Leslie Frazier go mm-hmm. as the defensive coordinator. So now Sean McDermott is the de facto, not de facto. He is. In fact, yeah. the, the defensive coordinator as well as the head coach. So uh, what what's going on is, look, the Bills are supposed to be an elite team. Um, they're not. <laughs> They've already lost as many games as they lost all of last year. They've <clears> lost two in a row now. And it's just, it's not that their window is closing. It's just that they're not maximizing their, they've got a couple of key injuries and the division now is up for grabs. I was just going to ask you that. Is their window closing? I think it is. Yeah. I it think, could be, John. Yeah, I, mean, I think it is. You know, you only get a certain amount of time. Now, obviously, if, if you're thinking, if you're going the Joe Burrow route where Joe Burrow said, you know what, our, our window's never going to close as long as I'm here and apply that to Josh Allen, you, you can state a case that their window's not closing. Mm-hmm. But as we just talked about, Josh Allen has his own issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Quarterback's in his own head. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing about it is, going back to that a second, he's asking people's advice. Yeah. Um, like, outside – the organization Yikes. outside the club. Can you imagine if a if a New England Patriots quarterback <laughs> went outside the organization? Oh my God! <laughs> I, I, I need an approach for winning this and playing this game. Let me go ask somebody who doesn't work for the New England Patriots. 
Oh, oh, the parallels are just uncanny on this one. I, you know, so I, I thought that the timing of this was, was outstanding, number one. Uh, and number two, because, look, I, you just said it uh, as well as anybody could say it, Armando. The, the Bills are still a good team. I don't know if they're an elite team anymore. They've had some injuries, yes, and, and but the division is wide open. And so I guess now if New England figures out a way to beat Miami this week, uh, who the hell is going to win the damn thing? I, who knows? I mean, uh, the right? The Dolphins have their own issues right now. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh, they can't beat a good team. Uh, they've got five wins, and those five teams have an 8-25 and 25 record. And One of those, of course, including the Patriots. Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, uh, kind of blown out both times. Yeah. Um, and by blowout in the NFL, a blowout is you know you lose by seventeen, you've been blown out. Oh sure, I, yeah, two touchdowns plus that's a blowout. Yeah, yeah, um, and so that's happening. Uh, they're they're doing good. They're doing good against you know zero and six Carolina and two and five Denver and uh, you know two and five New like, England. Yeah, the the Patriots. The Chargers, they beat the Chargers by a couple of points, and the Chargers are under 500 as well. I think they're 2-4. and four. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, watch out. If, uh, if you're not good, the Dolphins will beat up on you, but if you're anywhere near mediocre, you're going to give them trouble. Well, I think it all starts clearly uh, on, on the offensive side, and uh, Tua Tungavaloa and, and obviously Tyreek Hill, and I will figure out, I guess, what Jalen Waddle's situation is here as the week progresses, and whether or not he's going to be up to up to snuff here. But you know, it starts with throwing those guys down. But the guy that impressed me the most uh, in meeting number one between these two teams uh, was Raheem Mostert. I mean, here's a guy that you know I thought he was really good, a great weapon for San Francisco, and became expendable clearly when they moved in this guy named McCaffrey, who's done pretty well for them, you know, in the aftermath. But Mostert. The Patriots had no prayer of even slowing him down, much less stopping him. And I'm wondering if Miami just didn't try to go back to basics and maybe just run Mostert left and Mostert right and Mostert up the middle, uh, maybe to lull the Patriots into a false sense of security, stop the run, and then unleash Tyreek and whoever else uh, uh, thereafter. That would make a lot of sense. Um, The one little flaw in that thinking is that your offensive line is – was beat up. Yeah, Isaiah uh, Wynn was was he IR'd this week? He's IR'd. Okay. It's going to be a while yep. before he comes back, if mm-hmm. at all. This season. Uh, Armstead is on IR and he's not ready to come back yet. Uh, Connor Williams at center has not been playing because he's injured. And so, uh, you know, they've got significant issues up front. Well, then, uh, it, I guess as most of these battles come down to it, it sounds to me like this one this week is going to be in the trenches and whether or not the Patriots' defensive front can somehow wreak havoc with a you know uh, an ever-changing Miami offensive front. Looks like it'll start there this week. Absolutely. Now, what the Dolphins have a great ability to do that not all teams are able to do is they, you know, they can overcome some, some flaws at the line of scrimmage especially on offense with great speed. Um, you know, they believe that speed kills. Yep. And if you ask yep. the Denver Broncos, who swallowed a 70-burger from the Dolphins, mm-hmm. uh, it's true. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to cover Tyreek Hill, and it's hard to cover, uh, you know, Jalen Waddle, and it's hard to catch Raheem Mostert. And they're all, you know, track stars who are in football uniforms. Um, Bill Belichick has his his work cut out for him. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the other uh, the other X factor then for this weekend would also be whether or not Miami's defense can continue to make plays. They made a few of them certainly against the Patriots' offense, and I guess they got to figure out a way also to supplement whatever they're able to do on offense by maybe turning some of the defense into offense. What's what's been in your observation? What's been the bright spot defensively that Miami's defense? can kind of hang their hat on and rely upon as being a consistent factor. You're, you're, you're going to be surprised by this. The defense's bright spot is that Jalen Ramsey, who hasn't played a down, is coming back. Is coming back, mm-hmm. exactly. And that will give them what looks like two lockdown corners, which a lot of teams are happy when they've got one, assuming that Jalen Ramsey is anywhere close to being you know, traditional Jalen Ramsey that everybody's, you know, kind of been accustomed to. That is the thing that they are hanging their hat on because if that happens along with Xavier Howard on the other side at cornerback, now Vic Fangio, the new defensive coordinator, doesn't need to blitz or can blitz rather to get some pressure on a quarterback because he's got the outside locked down. Right. That's something that Fangio, who normally doesn't love blitzing anyway, has had to do less because he doesn't trust the secondary all the time. So once that happens with Jalen Ramsey and Davian Howard is healthy, uh, it opens up a new chapter for the for the Dolphins playbook on defense. And and the, herein lies the intrigue because obviously Mac Jones has performed worse when he's under severe pressure. I'd like to see Miami bring the pressure and what the Patriots had success with last week against the Bills was the short quick passing game. So it sounds to me like we might be see more of the same this Sunday or at least potentially. All I care about is not having to watch gritty that's all I care about. <laughs> I don't want to see gritty. Uh, I'm done with the gritty. I didn't even I'm think done. it was a very good gritty. It wasn't a very I'm good one. Done with the Mike Gusecki when he was on the Dolphins, he promised to stop doing that. And, well, and there it is on there, Sunday. There yeah. it was again. It, it, it was like the Undertaker, the wrestler coming if you, back from the dead. If you watch, uh, if you and, watch the video at the end of that, after after he does that very bad gritty catching that touchdown pass, the best part of that touchdown pass was actually the handshake that uh, uh, David Andrews did. I think it was with, um, I think it was with Kendrick Bourne in celebration of that. Their handshake was like, oh, dude, that took some time to plan. That I didn't see that, but I did see that Mac Jones. He also. He also uh, tried to, to do the gritty, and it was worse than Gesicki. I was like, "What? What is this?" The gritty. This is I know. Terrible. My eyes got scarred. I know. I, I I can't even. I can't even do the. Uh, I, what the hell is the one with the with the what? I can't even name them. I can't even. I don't even know what the hell it is. Uh, it's 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 the one like when you're cleaning your teeth. What's that stuff? Floss. Oh, the floss. I can't even do the floss. 
I tried doing the floss once, and my my twenty eight year old son dead. Stop. <laughs> I'm like, <That's> awesome. okay. <laughs> At least you were smart enough not to do it in front of sixty five thousand. <laughs> oh God, no kidding. Oh my God. Hey, I'd be remiss uh, uh, if I didn't ask you also about your podcast with Donovan McNabb uh, on the uh, Our Kick YouTube channel. Is that correct? Yeah, so Donovan McNabb, who, you know, once upon a time, I believe, lost the Super Bowl to... To the Patriots, yeah. <laughs> to the Patriots. He did. Uh, but great guy, super smart individual, knows football in and out and sideways. And so we've got a podcast on the Outkick YouTube channel uh, every Tuesday and Friday. And, you know, we... Special guest, the whole thing. Doug Peterson was on it this week. Andy Reid cool. was on it. Cool. Last week, so please tune in. Helps to have somebody like you know Donovan McNabb with star power pull these guests in, right? Absolutely, absolutely. See, we're just a we're just a one man operation. Me and the Marine, the Marine pulls in all the guests for me. You know, and that's that's basically how we roll it here. So that's why we're we're ever grateful to your loyalty, Armando. Anytime, John, it's always my pleasure, sir. Thank you, sir, for the time today, and uh, I hope that we'll get a chance to run into each other on the trail someday. Sounds good. All right, very good. Thank you. Armando Salguero, or you can get him on X at Armando Salguero, S-A-L-G-U-E-R-O. Give him a follow. Uh, Good info. And I just thought it was the wildest thing because – this week, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about Miami, and it's like, you know, first thing I'm going to do is talk to Marina, say, hey, let's get Armando on the show again, because we rely on our old, you know, contacts through the years, because Armando spent better part of over two decades as the beat writer and NFL columnist for the Miami Herald covering the Dolphins. And then it's been, what, now three years, maybe, that he's been without kick? Yeah, I think it's been about three years that he's that he's been without kick, and he uh, got a big promotion, uh, senior NFL writer. So he's not just covering the Dolphins, although the Dolphins are still a specialty, and he still covers them from time to time. But I mean, it's kind of like, well, who really knows the Dolphins better than a guy who's covered them for you know, better part of three decades? And if he's a friend of the show, then why wouldn't we want to bring his his take into the process here, especially when the Patriots are getting ready to play them, and. So that's a no-brainer. But then I imagine my surprise. I'm reading his stuff this week, and all of a sudden I see this story pop up about Josh Allen and getting and Josh Allen getting into Josh's own head. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Okay, I, I'm sensing I'm sensing some kind of a a crease, you know, in the in the um, in the atmosphere here or something because you know there's something going on in Buffalo. There's something going on in Buffalo. And as I kind of alluded to during that conversation, I'm like. I, the first thing that I, when I read his story, and I, you know, uh, when I saw it early this morning, when I'm, you know, thinking about the show today, and I read the story, and I'm like, it's over. The Bills' window of opportunity, their woo, I like to call it the woo, window of opportunity, get it? Um, their woo is done. There ain't no more woo in Buffalo. I'm sorry. That's my impression, at least, at this stage. Just going to let you know, Wu-Tang fans won't like that. Wu-Tang, oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm, you know, I never got Wu-Tang. Sorry, just never got it. I just never got it. I'm sorry. What do I know? Some Wu-Tang before the show. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should play a little Wu-Tang, you know, as a lead into the show. And then I'll get it, maybe, sort of. I don't know. Will I? No, I won't get it. I didn't think so. I, just being honest. Uh, but I think Buffalo's kind of lost their woo a little bit. And so, uh... 
And then to see him say that, somebody else clearly thinks to think the same way. And so you're coming off the Buffalo game, and you feel so much better about yourself. You feel, you know, a little bit better about the organization. Maybe Bill's not as dumb as everybody thought he was. Maybe these guys aren't as bad as you thought they were. I don't know. I'm just, look, things change when you win. The roses smell prettier. The sun shines brighter. The tacos taste taco-ier. Okay. Is that a thing? I just made it one. Uh, I'm just saying, things are different when you win. Doesn't really. Um, we're not throwing dirt on the problems that this franchise has. There's still a lot of what I would call disciplinary issues. You know, they did. You know, have uh, six, seven penalties last week. You know, and like I said, Buffalo was just out. out uh, they just out buffaloed them because Buffalo had like nine penalties last week, and I'm like, God. And then they, of course they had the two turnovers. The Patriots had one, so the Patriots actually won the turnover battle two to one. I'm just like, wow. And so Buffalo just stunk worse, really, than the Patriots did. The thing that was so surprising, really, about the Patriots' effort was the fact that they scored 29 points after it all. You know, and I realize Buffalo's missing a bunch defensively because of their injury situation, but really, there are a lot of teams in the same boat. Hello, New England. They're in the same boat, too. They're missing their two best starters. So, um, I hate to put a lot of extra credit on the table here. I think it's, you know, it's nothing more than really kind of what Coach Belichick said it was. It's, you know, it's a good win against a divisional opponent, yada, yada. You know, we're on to Miami. And, and really, that's the way you have to look at it. I mean, you're just through seven weeks. But this team, and we're, we tend to be um, uh, recency biased, do we not? Especially coming off, you know, that spanking at the hands of the Saints. And then, you know, getting, getting beat by, you know, uh, a Raiders team that, you know, deserves to be thrashed every time out that they play. I mean, come on. I, I, like, jo- I like Josh McDaniels as well as the next Patriot fan, but I just don't think the guy's head coach. I just don't. It just doesn't look like – I mean, this is his third time. You know, I mean, you have to count Indianapolis because he got the job and then he said no. So, you know, but this is his second time to be a head coach, and I don't know how well it's going to go for him. I hope for the best. I do. But they shouldn't have beat that Patriots team that day. They should not have done it. Shouldn't have done it last year either. The, the Patriots are like this far away. I'm holding my, my fingers. If you're not watching, I'm holding my fingers about an inch apart. Okay. Is that about right, Marine? Yeah, about like that? Okay. They're really that kind of far away. As bad as it's been, as as, as much as Mac Jones has been maligned, as much as we have absolutely and deservedly hammered the offensive line, and you know what? I don't mean to hammer those players as individuals. We hammered the group collectively. And we hammered the people that brought those people, you know, into that situation because they're the ones on the hook for it. They're the ones that are doing the, you know, the the navigation. They're the ones that are, you know, doing the observation. They're the ones doing the scouting and the signing and everything else. Clearly, there's work still to be done. There's work to be done, however, on every football team. I mean, you'd say right now that the San Francisco 49ers are one of the best teams in pro football, would you not? Probably, right? Okay, well, they just got spanked the other night. By the Minnesota Vikings. Come on. Why was San Francisco supposed to lose to a team like Minnesota? They're not. But guess what? They do. Why? Because 
in the NFL. It's P-A-R-I-T-Y turned into P-A-R-O-D-Y. Parody is parody. But that's what the NFL wants. That's what Grand Poobah Roger Goodell wants. It's what the owners want. They want everybody to have the ability to beat up on anybody on any given Sunday. Wasn't there a movie on any given Sunday? Was that the one with De Niro? No, Pacino. Pacino, yeah. Pacino, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, was, the bl- was that where the blimp flew over the Super Bowl stadium and blah, blah, and all that stuff? Was that the one on any given Sunday? Okay. I'm getting my, my sports movies mixed up here. Might not have been LL Cool J. I might be mixing it up, too. Yeah. It, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. It wasn't that great. Yeah, no, it wasn't. But I just I knew that there was a movie that was you know entitled that. At any rate, um, see now I lost my train of thought. Uh, th- you know the, the the thought is is that it's so equal out there that it only takes little things to win. And so the little things that can help a team win are the things that the Patriots got away from doing this year: limiting penalties, limiting turnovers, forcing turnovers from the other team. Those are the three little things that the Patriots got away from doing in the opening weeks of the season. Now, granted, the opening four weeks of the season is the toughest stretch, in my estimation, that they had on the schedule all year. And the schedule looks like it's really – it it can definitely play in the New England's favor. If they can figure out a way to win in Miami this weekend, I'd be surprised if this team wasn't 5-5. Five and five at some point, and then a chance to build and really be in the mix. And we're going to go from right now. uh, Here's a good one, okay? Here's a good one. I saw this today, right? I had a couple of different people figure this part out. If the season ended today, it doesn't, but if it ended today, the Patriots would have the number six draft pick in the first round based on the record and the tiebreakers, okay? Okay. They would also be uh, next to last in the AFC playoff chase, but only two games out of the playoffs in the AFC. How about that? They're 2-5, and but they're only two games behind Buffalo, who holds the seven spot right now, and they hold the tiebreaker over the Bills. Ha! Get that. Any given Sunday. Yeah. Okay. I, that I, that would just blew me away right there. They're, hey, you know what? Okay, so they end up with the record that they had, the number six pick in the in the draft. Okay, great. And I know a lot of people would love to see that. I do. You know, uh, my own son, the rookie, he's like, tank, tank, tank. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're talking about. Nobody tanks on purpose. Nobody does. You know, your professional pride won't allow you to tank. So when you hear that, they should tank. That's stupid. Don't think that because it's not going to happen. Now, management and coaching staffs can make decisions that would allow you not to be at your best. And so if you want to call that a form of tanking, all right, fine. Then leave it at that. Call it a form of tanking. But it's not. The, the players don't tank. The players want to go out and kick your butt. Always a competitor. Always a competitor. They want to go out and 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 and. and cause you misery that's what that's what players want to do but you know can general managers and in upper management can they make decisions that would in effect hamstring your team yep can coaches 
play different guys that would, in effect, make your team not as good as the other one? Sure, especially in a league that has as much parity, and I'll use P-A-R-I-T-Y in this instance, um, in a league that has as much parity as the NFL, sure. One little move, two little moves, yeah. That can make a difference in a ball game. I mean, how else can a move as simplistic as starting Michael Wenu at right tackle, because he's got a little size, make such a huge difference on a Patriots offensive line that's been abysmal this season? I'm just saying. Now, do I think that the Patriots played, you know, others did on purpose? No, because Wenu hadn't been healthy. But it's also a move that I think universally uh, had been clamored about by a lot of members of the media who cover this team on a day-in and day-out basis. And I know a lot of fans have been feeling the same way about it as well. And I know a lot of you follow it really closely. And so sure enough, they make the change. And Wendell comes in, and it's a different-looking offensive line. Mack actually stood up under pressure and fired the ball and fired a couple of great shots on that winning drive. Now you can't say Mack's never won one in the fourth quarter because he certainly did the other day after this team looked like it was going to hand that one back to Buffalo. After leading by double digits, it looked like, <laughs> right? And then they come storming back. So we, I think we have to give credit where credit is due in that regard. But at the same time, um, it, this team, uh, my, the this team is, I, I've really been searching for a term on this, and I can't really come up with it. This team, um, well, it's just it's not far away. Okay, let's just leave it at that. It's never been far away. And you have to see that if you had all of your pieces to the puzzle in place, healthy, not ripped up, not torn up, not on IR, not here, not there, but, you know, playing and, and, and performing well, uh, I, you know, there, there's absolutely a case that this team that's 2-5 and five right now could be 4-3. and three. And if you're four and three, you're tied with Buffalo for the last playoff spot. That's how close this team really is. And we thought going into this season, I thought going into this season, that New England was a potential playoff team based on the personnel. Yeah, I said it. Based on the personnel, I thought they had enough to be in the playoffs. Now, a contending team, a Super Bowl team, nope, and that's different. And then we saw Miami's speed, right? We saw Miami's speed in September. And I'm like, oh. I've never seen a faster team ever on a football field, bar none. It was a track meet. Patriots had no clue. I mean, and the Patriots are quicker, and they're more athletic defensively. And they couldn't keep up with Miami's speed. And so that is still a major concern, I think, for this weekend. But Miami's lost a little edge, and Miami also knows, and reading up on the Dolphins this week, they also know they haven't beaten anybody. The question is, do they still consider the Patriots somebody? 855-PATS-500 is the toll-free telephone number. 855-PATS-500. Toll-free. Uh, it's uh, web radio at patriots.com. Uh, on the email, if you want to send an email, follow me on X, at JR Broadcaster, or you can hit up my Facebook page. Russell Baxter will join us at the bottom of this hour. Uh, we've already had Chad Graff 
and Armando Salguero and even Evan Lazar in the opening part of this show simply because the uh, locker room times kind of changed up for both teams. So we moved some things around to get everybody on the program so you could hear from them and they could talk to you. In the meantime, let's go to Patty and Agawam. And Patty, hello. How are you? What's going on, John? How are you doing? I'm doing all right today. Well, I think we're all doing a little bit better. Yeah, we're all doing a little bit better. I mean, you feel a little better today. You know, if you're looking at it from a, you know, not even a big picture point of view. If you're looking at it from an immediate point of view, you're looking at things a little bit differently. But even big picture, you can start to see that, well, maybe that light at the end of the tunnel isn't an oncoming train just yet. Not yet. Hopefully. Fingers crossed, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you and I... More so you, because you've been you've been watching the NFL longer a lot, hell of a lot longer than I have. Well, it's because I'm a hell of a lot older than you are, so that's why. Probably <laughs> right. Is it necessary to throw the hell of a lot longer in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marine just said, "Yeah, I noticed you put the hell of a lot older in there," and I'm like, "Yeah, I have to, I have to." So it is what it is. But you know, hey, that doesn't lessen your opinion at all. I'm interested in, in your take, and that's why we do this show. I I want to know what people are thinking. I want to know what you're thinking. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, um, here's the question I want to pose to you, and here's where I'm coming from. We know historically, even with the greatest player of all time on our team, um, we were subpar at best going into Miami and playing. And that it didn't matter if it was September, you know, November, December, whenever. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this team has struggled in Miami. Most, more specifically, the team with Mac Jones. You know, there's there's no way around it. And uh, historically, they they've never really played all that great down there. So I'm I'm a little bit worried about that. And my question to you is, can you give me a couple of at least a couple of reasons why I should be hopeful this week, Ooh. this Sunday? Yikes! Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, no. <laughs> I, no, that's not entirely true. Um, I I think number one, I think that, that Miami is is for the first time this year because they lost. You know, uh, albeit they lost to a you know good team this last week, they lost to Philly, and Philly, in my estimation, is probably the overall best team in the NFL right now, top to bottom. Uh, at least they're certainly playing that way, record wise. And the Patriots obviously played them very well and probably should have won that game, you know, in the opener. Uh, but they didn't. They didn't. So, you know, but it kind of shows you where even maligned where the Patriots could be. They could be amongst some of the best in the league if all things were going right. So are the Patriots moving in the right direction? Well, they didn't really move in the right direction over the first four or five weeks of this season. But, you know, at least – they didn't take a you know a mother may I big step backward this last week against Buffalo. Now, what can Buffalo what can what, what can you use from Buffalo in order to make this better for Miami? I think if nothing more than just pure out and out self confidence occurs, then I think that's where the Patriots are going to benefit most. Um, I still worry about Miami's overall speed. 
I still worry about, you know, Raheem Mostert, you know, gouging the Patriots up the middle because they're so worried about the speed it leaves the middle of the field open and that's where he killed them back in September. You know, he got into the, you know, you know the second level and you know, he just, you know, I, Mostert had a hell of a day. He was over 100 yards and yada, you know, big touchdowns at the end and you know, and he he basically ruled the roost. So, you know, if you're going to take out Tyreek Hill, which is what I expect the Patriots to try to do, then that means that the rest of the guys got to figure out a way to you know to to, to be there for Mostert because Mostert's the one that 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 uh, that bothers me. Uh, I think the other issue is I don't think is HN is he on is he on IR? I have to look at that because if he's not able to play either, and I think he was injured for a while, then uh, then that's only going to help New England's cause because that makes Miami less of a dual threat. So. I think you kind of understand where the pieces to the puzzle are if you're looking at this, trying to guard this, you know, ultra quick, super fast Miami offense. You got to keep everybody in front of you. You don't want anybody to get behind you. And I think they played that way largely in week two uh, when they lost. But at the same time, they got killed up the middle. Maybe that doesn't happen because of the offensive line troubles that Armando was telling us about just a little while ago. So in that regard, I actually feel a little better. And with the Patriots feeling a little more confident and showing finally that, hey, look what happens when we limit our mistakes. I didn't say eliminate them. I said when we limit our mistakes. If they can go to Miami and limit their mistakes again and maybe force Miami into one more turnover or two more turnovers than than the Patriots get, I like their chances a lot. I'm not quite ready to say if the Patriots win the turnover battle, they win the game. But I think if the Patriots win the turnover battle – they can win the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I'm wondering if um, if they try to, you know, employ kind of the same defensive scheme that they used against Buffalo. Because the first game against Miami, they did. I mean, they sat back. They sort of let them have the run. And, it, I mean, it ended up killing them. They were still able to move the ball. But, you know, with what they're what, – what they're dealing with on their offensive line. I wonder if they come after Tua and try and, you know, get him off of his spots and get him on the move too, you know. Sure. Not yeah. saying that he's not good on the move, but, you know, um, that and, uh, you know, I hope they I hope they have the same offensive line that they did. And my big worry is them not holding him to 24 points and getting into a shootout, and I just I don't see that ending well, if, you know, if that ends up happening. All right, so you asked also, or you were talking about how the Patriots haven't done well at Miami. Um, they have lost one, two, three, four, five of the last six in Miami since 2017, and eight out of the last ten since 2013 in Miami. Before that, and this was obviously toward you know the, uh, the latter part of the Tom Brady era, they actually had won five of six in Miami. So they've lost eight of ten, but that comes on the heels of going five and one at Miami. If that, you know, I don't know if that makes you feel any better or not, but that's that's where we've been at least recently in the last uh, seven or eight years. They've lost eight of the last ten down there. Yeah, and I, I remember them uh, winning in early 2017 on New Year's Day because I was, I was homesick. Right. Watching the game on my recliner, um, and that was the uh, that was the game that Julian had the that big um, that big touchdown with. I can't even Michael Floyd oh, had a yeah. huge block on on his touchdown. Right. 
but yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a sort of a house of horrors for them just historically. And I do think, you know, if they're able to go down there and pull this one out, you know, they the next two games after that, I'm not penciling it in. I'm not penciling anything in, <laughs> but they are definitely more winnable games than than this Sunday. Not penciling it in. Okay. Definitely All right. not. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. I guess that's fair. So you got a score? You want to predict it? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say it's 31-27, Miami. I hate to say it, but I'm just going by history, John. I'll be I'll be I'm honest with you. I, th- I actually think that's a little more high scoring than I think it'll be. I know Miami, you know, hung 70 on the Broncos. But I, I just, you know, gosh. I think the Patriots would just, you know, go, you know, three yards in a, in a cloud of dust on offense if Miami started ringing up the scoreboard. And I, I still don't understand how Sean Payton could let a game like that get out of control like that, get out of hand like that. I don't think that would ever happen to a Bill Belichick team. I just don't think it would. Yeah, me neither. 70. I mean, that's yeah, just, I'm, I'm that's just, just going by history. I mean, if, if they had showed me – if they had showed me something against, you know, against the Saints, the game I was at, and against the Cowboys, if they were a little bit more consistent, I might say that they, they'd have a better shot of going down there and taking it. But I don't know. You know, I'm hopeful, John, but – at the same time, I'm not holding my breath. I hate to be a fence sitter, but no, 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 no. I know, I know. Believe me, because I, that's exactly what I've been doing all day. I've been sitting on the fence and, and you know, trying to hang, dangle my feet off of both sides, and I don't like either side yet. So I guess the arrows are going to come from all sides now, uh, because I'm just, I'm just, I clearly this has been one of the tougher, you know, pickums for me, uh, because I'm, I'm trying to look at it somewhat analytically. Uh, you know, if you go, you know, with the emotion and you go with the momentum, yeah, you might tend to favor New England. But at the same time, you realize, you know, how the individual matchups rely, and you've got, you know, still got a speedy Miami offense, especially if Waddle goes and against the Patriots defense that, uh, you know, is missing, you know, arguably their two best defenders. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to reason that way that you could see, you know, realistically. Uh, a potential win, especially we consider how difficult, as you pointed out, as we pointed out a couple of moments ago, how difficult it is to win down in South Florida. So, um, but it's going to add some intrigue. And look, uh, as we said earlier with, with Evan in particular, and, and uh, also with, with Chad and, and even with Armando, if the Patriots figure out a way to win this game and get to three and five, okay, just to get there. Okay, and then, you know, you've got a couple of games left to go. you got the trip to Germany to get going before, you know, you get to an off week and all that kind of stuff. Now you're, now you're talking about, okay, this team might actually have a shot, a shot to play its way back into some kind of postseason discussion. And, uh, I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather on that one 10 days ago, right? I think you could have, you know, people would have looked at you and laughed. They're probably still laughing, which is fine. But that's the nature of the beast. So if you want to call that the P-A-R-I-T-Y or the P-A-R-O-D-Y of the NFL, well, that's what we're facing. And everybody faces that every week in this league. That's part of the entertainment value that we have with this. We, You know, Patriots fans are so used to dominating, they don't really understand how even Steven this stinking league really is and can be and how we can change literally and swing literally on one injury or one mistake or one penalty, and it can swing on just about anything. That's part of the fun, and that's part of the agony. So it is what it is, right? I think that's why Bill came up with that answer anyway. Yeah, and, and I mean, how great would it be 
a week after Mac exercises those demons of of winning a game where the opponent scores 25 points and um, you know coming back in the last two minutes to win a game oh, yeah. for Belichick to finally get that win over Tua. Yeah, know, right. And, so that's and the... you know me like the Dolphins are my NFL Yankees. So they're the, they're my least favorite team in the league. <laughs> it, it, it makes me sick to my stomach that we haven't beaten Tua yet and. And there's a reason. I mean, they're good. And I, is, as much as I hate to say it, they're they're a good squad. Is know? it possible that the Patriots decide to game plan for Tua rather than Tyreek Hill just because they've never beat the guy? I hope so. And I think that, that goes back to what I said. Um, you know, when, I would like to see them employ sort of the same uh, strategy they used against Buffalo and just come after him. you know. Just come after him, hit him, and instead of hitting the receivers or playing off of them. Yeah, I, I I think that that's that's. Pu- I think you'll I, I think you might see a little bit of that uh, because you're right. Number one, Miami looks to be somewhat vulnerable on the offensive line because they've got some injury issues. You know that has certainly plagued New England. The problem with that is though is that if you come after him, you better get him because if they complete the ball to you know Tyreek or anybody else really, but uh, then you know they're going to kill you in the secondary. They're just going to they're going to they're going to murder you so you got to make sure that if you go after him you get him yeah and you can't miss tackles this week nope do it nope and there were a lot of missed tackles last week and that was one of my biggest nitpicks uh this week was all the missed tackles especially that came in the secondary it was like these guys figure forget how to wrap up these guys forget how to make a tackle they forget how to complete a tackle my god the jc jackson thing on the touchdown the buffalo scored at the end that was Diggs, right i i was like and he spun out of it and got into the end zone what the hell was that i mean that's that's a benchable offense you're not wrapping up yeah. on somebody like that you had him down at the 3 you had him down at the inside the 5 yard line and then he spins out of it and scores because you can't finish the tackle come on man that's that's bush that's total bush so, I mean, right. hey, we, we all know what J.C. Jackson is. It, it was that way when he was playing well here a couple of years ago. You know, he is a feast or famine guy. And, yeah. you know, he can make big plays and he can pick off passes, or at least he did two years ago. And he can also give up big plays. Well, he gave one up. So, as far as I'm concerned, J.C., you down one now, and you owe us one. Hey, he had a pick in the first game when he played for the Chargers. Let's, let's hope he sees. Well, he yeah, but that was day. that was with another team. He's he, we, there needs to be a pick, you know, on this end, and then all is forgiven, and we can move on from that point. That's you know that, that's how I look at it. Look, you make a mistake. A lot of guys are going to make mistakes, but make up for it. Make up for it. That's why we play. Keep keep playing. You can't dwell on the past. You make up for it. The problem is nobody's made up for anything. They keep making a mistake, a mistake, a mistake. And so at some point in time, you have to have personal accountability in here. And not enough guys have taken personal accountability. I, you know, Some of the rookies, it may be more difficult because they just don't know any better. But there has to be a personal accountability, and there's just not enough of that going on. And, hey, five, ten years ago, this would not have happened under Bill Belichick. And to me, that's the biggest difference, other than Tom Brady not being a quarterback, that's the biggest difference in the Patriots now from the Patriots then. There's very little accountability. Maybe that's senior leadership in the locker room. I don't know. And I'm not blaming Matt Slater. I'm not blaming, you know, Jabril Peppers, who did the whole, you know, family yell, you know, in the locker room after, you know, the game this past week. Ah, that's fine. Great. Good. I'm glad that new guys are stepping up and, and they want to be leaders. But more guys have to have a personal accountability. 
for poor performances. Trent Brown, one of them. And Trent graded out pretty well last week. I mentioned uh, to, to Chad Graff earlier, I'm like, good God, City Sal was the second highest graded tackle in the NFL last week. I mean, uh, guard in the NFL last week. Good Lord. We've hammered that guy. Unfairly, because he's a rookie. But if he's able to play at that kind of a level, what does that tell you about his talent level that the Patriots originally saw? And, and, and maybe, you know, the Patriots' original scout and, and determination that he would be worth the pick where they got him was not off. A lot of intrigue left out there, Patty. A lot of intrigue. Yes, yes sir. Great stuff as always, John. Thanks, and, buddy. Um, great, great stuff with UMC and the, uh, the Hall of Fame induction, too. Well, you're you're kind to say that. That's a lot of fun for me every year. <laughs> That's a lot of fun for me to do because I am, you know, being the old school, uh, you know, person that I am, a chance to kind of um, get in there and be a part of, you know, uh, Patriot tradition uh, for the you know 64 years that this team has has uh, been in existence, and I've been here for 32 of those 64 years, so one half of the Patriots' existence, which to me blows me away every time I think about it. But I get to see, you know, when we introduce the players as they come out, uh, you know, guys that were with the original Boston Patriots of the AFL and, and guys that were with, you know, the Super Bowl Twenty team. And one of my dear, dear friends, you know, on this planet now has turned out to be Pete Brock who was the center on that Super Bowl twenty team and, you know, played alongside yep. one of the greatest who have ever played the game on the line and John Hanna. John uh, Hanna. Yeah. And then, you know, and then other guys like, you know, who I ran into this week who I, I had a wonderful chat with after the sermon was over was Mark Van Egan. And, you know, Mark Van Egan only played in, in New England for a couple of years. His notable part of his NFL career came playing for the, you know, the then Oakland Raiders, as we all know. He was a part of the whole, you know, uh, Miller Light commercial and all that kind of stuff, right? He was that was in his heyday, and he was playing back in the days of guys like Phil Villapiano and 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 you know and uh, when Jim Pluckett was quarterbacking, and Kenny Stabler was quarterbacking, and uh, you know and he was a running back back then, and and uh, they had uh, Fred Boletnikoff as a wide receiver, and you know and uh, Mark only played in New England for a couple of years, but you know I rarely get a chance to to see him anymore because he's kind of a homebody and and. Uh, um, his son-in-law is Dan Copen. And oh, no kidding. Yeah, his middle daughter uh, was actually Mark's middle daughter. Uh, Amber was a Patriots cheerleader for a few years. And then after she left, she and Dan Copen uh, started dating, and they got married, and now they have two kids. And and so I told Dan, I saw you know Dan, and, and we spoke. And by the way, he's, lo- he's shed a lot of his football weight. And it's amazing to see a lot of these guys who played recently, guys like Sebastian Vollmer, uh, Copen, um, Nate Solder, all those guys were there this last week. How much weight they've taken off? Pete Brock's another one. Even uh, like a guy who, I mean, he never played for the Patriots, but like Joe Thomas. I think you see that a lot with the, the offensive linemen. Well, they, they tell, and, and I asked, yeah, I asked Pete about it because Pete and I have done college football broadcasts together. He's been color, and I've been the play by play in a lot of, you know, college football games uh, over the years. And, um, I asked him, I said, so, you know, why did you shed the weight and, and why does this seem to be a, you know, an ever-growing, uh, you know, not slowing down trend? He said, because of the weight it puts on our legs and our knees and our joints. And he says, you know, the quicker you can take that la- that weight off, the longer your own joints are going to last. And and that makes a lot of sense. So they've gone from, you know, their playing weight in their days of, you know, 275, 280, 290, you know, maybe even in Copen's case, 300. 
you know, they're down to svelte, you know, 225s. You know, they've dropped 75, 80 pounds. I mean, I didn't recognize Nate Solder. I did not recognize Nate. And he was up on the dais. If you watched any of the of the uh, uh, the ceremony, I'm yep. just like, that's Nate Solder? Holy crap. Where did he go? He actually, he looks like he could, you know, suit up and play a stretch four for the Celtics right now. You know, he's big, he's <laughs> lean, he's thin. I'm like, dang, does he have a jump shot? Let's go. You know, I'm that, and I'm just like, wow. I was amazed. And then even Dan Copen, when we were talking about his father-in-law in, in Mark, and I had a great conversation with Mark, but uh, I'm just like, you know, you're going to drag your dad out a little bit, you know, your, your father-in-law out a little bit more to some of these things. Bring him along. We, we love to see him be more involved in some of these alumni things. And, uh, and, and even Copen's like, wow, Dan, you look fabulous. You look fabulous. So, you know, and, and they all take the weight off because it's just a strain on their joints and on their internal organs. And so hey, kudos to these guys for recognizing that, that, hey, you know what? We do have an afterlife after football, and it's important for us to take care of ourselves, and a lot of these guys are taking it to heart. But in those guys in particular, that's who I saw this weekend at a thing, and, and that was really eye-opening for me, uh, Patty. So I'm, I'm glad you asked, and that's so much fun for me to be a part of, and I'm, I'm glad the Patriots have allowed me to be a part of it. Great stuff. All right, John, I'll talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Patty and Agawam, 855-PATS-500 if you want to jump on. 855-PATS-500, web radio at patriots.com, and obviously at JR Broadcaster on X. Uh, Sean sends this email uh, just a short while ago. He says, congratulations on getting what you've been demanding for years. The Patriots took the ball first. <laughs> yeah. I guess they had. Well, well. The only problem with that is he says, let's see if they choose that the next time they win the toss. There you go. Right? Uh, he says, of course, that worked because they scored. I have a rare in-person audition in an hour from now, so I can't call in. But my prediction for Sunday is Dolphins 27, Patriots 20. I hope I'm wrong again like I was last week. That's Sean in Vancouver. Good luck with your interview, Sean. Good luck with your interview. Um, yeah, look, I know that that's something that I've harped on for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, it you know, I'm sure it's laughable to, to, to many, but the point is is that you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again, especially when the same thing doesn't work. The time and era for playing, you know, two-score football like that, you know, into the first half, first position to second half is over, O-V-A, over. You don't have TB12 at quarterback any longer. You certainly don't have a Tua Tagovailoa or you know or a Pat Mahomes or or even a Brock Purdy. You don't have that, and it's that and that's really taking nothing away from uh, from Mac Jones. He didn't have the weapons either in order to do that. Nor does he, I believe he have the experience to really you know pick apart a defense you know in the final four minutes you know of the first of the first half or the first four minutes of the second half. And so for the Patriots to continue to harp upon well we want to go for the double score, you know. It'd be the last team to have the ball, first team to get the ball, and not let the other team, you know, touch the ball, and you conceivably score twice. I mean, that's that's. I'm sorry, it's just ridiculous. I was going to go with another R word, but I think decorum will keep me from saying that. <laughs> right? Bring it back. I know. Miss Robin and I were talking about that the other day. I'm just like, really, what's wrong with that? Medical definition at one point. Well, and and here's the thing, and here's the thing. The true definition of that word, the other R word, okay, 
it means that it's it just it's a it's a lack of growth. That's all it is. We're not we're not saying it to be personally offensive to anybody. It indicates a lack of growth. And so what the Patriots are doing every time they take the damn ball or every time they you know they defer shows a distinct lack of growth. It also shows a distinct lack of intelligence. And these guys, like I said before, and I'll continue to say it, they've forgotten more football than I'll ever know. They've forgotten more football than Evan Lazar will ever know. And Evan knows a lot. For a young man, he knows a ton about football. That's why I'm glad he's you know, still a part of our shows here. And I know many of you listen to his pod that he does, you know, the Catch-22, and listen to what he has to say on Patriots Unfiltered. And, and we utilize Evan in all these formats because, frankly, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a good football guy. What he says makes a lot of sense. My problem, my biggest problem is, is that I put too much common sense into it. And a lot of times common sense doesn't compute with some of these football brains. And I think that that's kind of what gotten away from the Patriots here. They're so damn used to just, well, you know, we want the two-score chance and don't really think about it. How about a little forethought? It's clear, painfully clear to see that this New England team was struggling to get anything going early, okay? I mean, it was, they were, there's, you know, especially, I'm talking about on the defensive side now. And, and so and their slow starts, once they got the ball, were painfully obvious as well. How about changing it up and giving them a chance to play from a lead? Now, again, I know the, the offense was struggling, but you can't score, realistically, without the ball. Maybe give, you know, Mac 10 or 12 or 15 scripted plays, win the toss, take the ball, Give them 10 or 12 or 15 scripted plays and get, I don't know, a field goal out of it? <gasps> That's what they did this last Sunday, and <gasps> they won. What the hell? That's all I'm saying. Do I think you should take the ball every time you win the toss? No. I think there might actually be an opportunity to defer and take the ball to start the second half, especially if you feel like you know you can control the other team's Offensive line, defensive line, the trench war, if you can win that a little bit, all right, fair enough. So if we feel like we can control the line of scrimmage, then maybe we take a shot at it. And maybe we play the clock. And maybe we've gotten better at clock management. And maybe we figure out to, you know, all right, four minutes the first half, four minutes of the second half. Maybe we feel like we can get to that point and try for the double score. It just depends really on the opponent and the opportunity and the momentum and everything else that goes along. It it cannot be carte blanche every time. And I remember even saying in the booth on Sunday, thank God they lost the toss. Thank God. Now there's, now there's a chance. There's a hope. And what did they do but score in the opening drive for the first time this year? I'm just, you know. Blinds, the headline should read, Blind Squirrel Finds Nut. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman. It's time to go around the NFL with football guru Russell Baxter. Now on, your name is Flounder. On Patriots Playbook. Flounder. Also known as our own personal blind squirrel here in the playbook. Russell, how are you today? Can I be Secret Squirrel? <laughs> you could be Rocky the Flying Squirrel. If I'm Secret Squirrel, that makes you Adamant. <laughs> All right, then if you're Rocky the, the, the Flying Squirrel, I'll be Bullwinkle. 
Well, uh, uh, the bull part I get. <laughs> Very good. Ba-dum-tsh. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, there that we go. That might be the meanest, meanest thing I've ever said to you in 23 years. Uh, no, I don't look at it like that, though. If you can't uh, if you can't bust chops with one of your friends, then who the hell can you bust chops that, with? That, that, that's very true. Right? That's very true. Exactly. So so g- give me what your, your initial impression. How much did you see of the game on Sunday, and what was your impression after you finally learned the, 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 the score in that one? Well, no, I saw much of it, especially, uh, you know, the frantic finish. And and give credit where credit's due. You know, if if you're the Patriots and you've had the season that you've had and you watch that lead just squirt away in the blink of an eye and then had, you know, roughly less than two minutes left to make, you know, salvage a win and you drive the length of the field, basically – yeah, and get the job done. Yeah, and you know, kudos to a team that you know, you know, some people wrote off. Um, you know, they 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 wind up scoring their most points of the season. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, we could talk about the Bills in a little bit, by the way, too, because uh, you know, as I as I pointed out in a piece that I did for for Ian for Full Press. First off, they've already lost as many games as they did all of last year. Right. Um, second, you know, they've had a trend, John, of their defense failing them later in the season. Their defense is failing them already. Yeah. Especially against the run. So the, and, tre- the trend uh, is not going well for Buffalo right now. Right. And I don't care what kind of league. You know, it, it's funny. You know, Buffalo stumbled out of the gate. They won – you know, three straight games and pummeled the Dolphins. And since pummeling the Dolphins, they've lost two or three. Yep. And that, even though it was a five-point game in London against Jacksonville, they gave up over 470 yards of total offense. Ooh, that's, and yeah. their run defense, which was top five last year, is 23rd in the league right now. Mm. And uh, I don't uh, care if this is a passing league if you can't stop the run then you can't stop the best there's no about anything yeah there's there's no question russell they missed ed oliver last week i that was the the biggest uh, egregious you know thing that i saw is like man they missed that dude's presence in the middle well they're they're missing some other key components uh on defense as well and um you know again it's great that you can run rush the passer okay Mm -hmm. but when the running back has the football, it's an issue. And the fact that the, the Patriots stay balanced, and, you, you know, we talk about all the time, carries mean as much as yards do when it comes to the running game. Um, you know, it, it New England executed. And, and like I said, they could have very easily hung their head after that, you know, that late turnover and all of a sudden they relinquished the lead because they, they basically controlled the game. For you know, mostly three quarters. But kudos to Belichick and kudos uh, to the staff and the players and Mac Jones, who was you know had an excellent day as far as you know, completing passes and so on. And uh, you know, it's, it's funny that it, that that's the beauty of this league. You got it all figured out, and then you watch powerhouses, the, the quote unquote supposed powerhouses of the league. Mm-hmm. Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, San Francisco all bite the dust in one week. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? 
All the big guys, all the big guns. Yeah, they all lost. Yeah, isn't I mean, it, it, and and listen, I know Miami, Philadelphia was the showdown. Detroit, Baltimore was the showdown. San Francisco has gone from imposing to confusing <laughs> in the span of seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I and, and to me, I, I think that gets back to one of the topics that I started with today. You know, I, I know that, you know, the NFL, you know, uh, poobahs, you know, want P-A-R-I-T-Y. And a lot of fans look at it as P-A-R-O-D-Y, parody and parody. But uh, at the same time, I, I think this is what the teams want. Otherwise, they would legislate otherwise within the NFL rule book, would they not? Well, it's, listen, the salary cap changed everything. Free agency changed a lot, and the salary cap changed even more. Mm-hmm. And now you go back you go back to the mid-90s. You know, free agency started in 93. The cap kicked in in 94. We were in the midst of the Dallas dynasty of the 90s where they won three Super Bowls in four years. Um, and as I like to remind people, uh, the 92 team, there was no free agency, just smattering at the end of the year. 93, it kicked in. 94, there was the cap. 95, they still had a lot of players. 93, the Cowboys didn't lose that many players to free agency. They wanted to come back and repeat. Then they started losing people. And it kind of swung, John. The, the, the tide kind of swung when the Broncos won those back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, we started seeing franchises that – had never had any kind of Super Bowl success, all of a sudden get to the big game and, and win it. You know, and that included the Patriots, mm-hmm. who had been to a couple Super Bowls and then all of a sudden did what they did. But, you know, we saw the Saints. Um, you know, we saw the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. We saw Seattle in back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, fran- like I said, franchises, uh, it, free agency changed everything. And the cap changed even more. And that's why... What New England did for 20 years and what the Chiefs are currently doing, you have to applaud more than anything else because they've been able to find a way to buck the system where everybody else is just kind of floating in mediocrity, for lack of a better word. Yeah. How does a team – I wanted to ask – I ask this question of people and I get different answers. I'd be curious as to yours. How does a team pull itself up out of mediocrity? And do they have to get that lucky bolt of lightning, strike them like the Patriots getting, you know, Tom Brady with a 199th pick, and then, you know, as we know, the world changed thereafter? Or or is there more of a calculated effort for a team to pull itself up out of the morass of mediocrity? I think that's a good phrase. And, and actually turn themselves into a bona fide Super Bowl contender. I think what you have to have is a plan more than anything else. Now, it's funny you should bring that up, okay? Now, I've I, I read this. I can't say I researched it, okay? I saw it, I saw it online today, and, and I'll just throw out baseball. Correct me if I'm wrong. Both the Texas Rangers and Arizona Diamondbacks two years ago lost over 100 games. They did. That's true. And now they're in the World Series. I saw another number this week that you'll love, too. Last time we had two teams who started the year – at 50 to 1 odds or better to reach the World Series. The Rangers right. were 50 to 1, and I think the, the Diamondbacks were like 125 to 1, something like that. Okay, the last time we had two teams like that make the series was 32 years ago. Wow. It's a long time. I was, I, I was hoping you didn't say 1919 because I, I remember <laughs> putting money down on the White Sox. <laughs> 
and you've never forgiven Chula I Joe since. Yeah, that, that remember that you remember that movie Eight Men Out? Yeah. I yeah. was the ninth. <laughs> okay. uh, so. But you know, no, you have to have a plan. You know, uh, it's gonna sound like an odd example because he's not there anymore. Yeah. Okay. But when Brian Flores left New England and went to Miami, they had a plan to change the culture. Everybody accused them of, oh, they're tanking. Mm-hmm. And if you remember that, that season, remember where they got annihilated by the Ravens and then shut out by the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, I think they would they give up like 102 points in their first two games. Something like that, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then by the end of the year, Ryan Fitzpatrick came into Foxborough with the Dolphins and beat them, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they weren't tanking. They were trying to change things. Yeah. After some really, really bad years. But I think the tendency for teams is to not have a plan and grab a box of Band-Aids and let's spend some money and do this and that and this and that and this and that. Um, and things to rise. You know, a, a team that has fallen into that rut big time with a slew of changes every year is the Raiders. And that's why the Raiders haven't won the playoff. The Raiders haven't won the playoff game since the only year that Tom Brady was the full time starter in New England. Hmm. That's 2002. Wow. They haven't won a play. They've only That's right. Since. That's right. That was the year they got to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The last playoff game they won was they beat the Titans in the in the AFC FC Championship. Yeah, right. Okay. So you see other teams, and and you wonder why Green Bay does what it does in terms of the draft. Mm-hmm. You wonder why Pittsburgh does what it does in terms of its front office, even though they made a change this year, and the head, you know, three different head coaches in fifty something years. Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't win it, but they're at least in the ballpark, and, and maybe one day they will win it again. Um, stability is huge. Uh, you know, Andy, Andy Reid has now been part of – in fact, Andy Reid reminds me – this is going to be a weird analogy. kind of reminds me of Adam Vinatieri, who, you know, was part of the Patriots dynasty and then wound up spending more years in Indianapolis than he did in New England. Mm-hmm. And I say that because Andy Reid is now in his 11th year as the head coach of the Chiefs after spending more than 10 years in Philadelphia. Crazy. And Philadelphia got to one Super Bowl that didn't happen. Andy Reid's now gotten to three and won a couple of titles. Stability, okay? There's that lack of stability and that certainly not lack of impatience is what has hurt a lot of teams as they – for instance, more recently, the Buccaneers and the Rams, who yep. looked like they were now one-year fixes. Yep. Now, the Rams did it for a couple of years, and the Patriots certainly – I mean, the Buccaneers certainly did it. Mm-hmm. But once Brady left – Back you know, to, back to being season, the Bucks. They won the division last year, and they were 8-9. and Yeah. The Rams went from Super Bowl champion to setting a record for the most losses ever. By a Super Bowl champ. Super Bowl champion. Right, exactly. Back to being the Bucks and the Rams. Right. So, I mean, they got their titles, and for some people that's good, but you 
don't know what you're getting. I mean, the Rams lost last week. They're now three and four. Last year they were five and twelve. Okay, so mm-hmm. what's that? Five is eight and uh, eight and uh, sixteen in their last. Was it seven? Was it three? They carried. Listen to me. <laughs> eight and carry the cipher. <laughs> yeah, eight. No, eight and sixteen. They played twenty-four games. 17 and 7. They, they lost two-thirds of their games since winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Damn, Abacus gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Carry the four. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I amuse myself too, way too often. I'm here. better off when I'm making 7-Eleven jokes. That's yeah, right. I know. <laughs> All right, well, the aforementioned Bucks and Bills, by the way, kind of lead off our play this week. They got the Thursday night game uh, at Buffalo, and and clearly it's an opportunity uh, for for both teams, but maybe for the Bills to reassert themselves uh, as a potential contender. You know, within the AFC, I would think, right? Well, you would think so, um, and you know, we know how Buffalo is, uh, certainly at home. I mean, obviously the. Uh, the three games now, I think technically the loss at Jacksonville, I think they were the home team. Um, the loss in London yeah. to Jacksonville, I yeah. should say. Yeah. Um, the other two losses are divisional. Um, and it's a, you know, it's kind of a rare meeting between two of the quarterbacks that were drafted the first round in 2018, Baker Mayfield, number one, and Josh Allen, number seven. Yeah. Um, what is what is extremely rare, and I never went back and looked, but I'm pretty certain I can't ever remember a week where we've had ten interconference games. I might be wrong, but ten of the sixteen games, so we have no buys this week. Ten of the games are are, are inter, interconference games, starting with uh, Thursday night and ending with the Raiders Lions game on on Monday night. And so if I it, of, if I'm not mistaken, inter- Russell, I, I I counted up a little bit just haphazardly today. The AFC's got the lead again in the clubhouse, right? Yeah, twenty to they lost, you know, it's funny. The first two weeks they were 0 and six. Um since then they're twenty and seven. Wow. And uh, you know, I don't know what that means. And a lot of times, just so people know, a lot of times if you win the season series, it doesn't necessarily translate into the Super Bowl. No. Uh, the conference team. You don't get home court advantage. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't do anything. Until you, there's no real trend there is what I should be saying. Right. Um, but uh, this will be interesting because the, the Bucks are certainly flawed. Um, their offense has really struggled the last couple outings and so on. Um, defensively, they, 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 they're pretty solid. The one thing the Bucks don't do, it's funny, offensively their issue has been moving the ball. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've made a slew of mistakes. Okay? They're, they're one of the better teams in turn of, terms of turnover margin and just not turning over the ball, period. Yep. They just haven't been able to move the ball. Now, um, and last week was a perfect example. You know, They had a couple opportunities to, to rally and beat the Falcons, and, and unfortunately for them, their defense came up and gave up one huge pass play to Kyle Pitt late in the game, and Atlanta wound up, wound up beating them in Tampa and so on. The Bills, they've got to figure a way to stop the run. And, and we know the thing about the Bills. The Bills are so capable of just about blowing anyone out at any one time. But, you know, they're like an old record player. Are we going to see the Bills at 78 speed or 33 and a third? Whoa, wait a second. Say that again. 
Are we going to see the Bills oh. at 78 seed? Or at 33 and a third? Mm-hmm. On 33 and a third. Right, okay, yeah. For those that are uninitiated to that terminology, that's the speed that, you know, vinyl records used to play it on the term table. Right. Right? right. Okay, gotcha. Right. Right. In fact, after I'm done, i got to go change my Montabani album. So. <laughs> I used to love playing the 33s. Oh, I mean, yeah, 45s, too. I, yeah, absolutely. My mother and father oh, yeah. and so on, like, you know, Listen, when your last, last name was Deepa Squally, like my mother's was, Yeah. okay, there was going to be a Montavani album <laughs> in the house, okay? Yeah. Along with, of course, Diana Ross and the Supreme. Yeah, you got to have some Diana Ross. All right, so the Jets, uh, obviously the Dolphins and the Patriots, to get to them last year, but the Jets are also playing on the road at the Giants. The Jets yeah. are the dark horse now. They're 3-3. Three and three. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, I, and I, I never thought this, but, I mean, if, if they beat the Giants – Bills lose, Patriots win. Oh my gosh! You're talking about a. Uh, you're talking about. Um, uh, you know, I'll have the toss-up question for 200, Alex, because frankly, you don't know what's going to happen in the AFC East, but it it could be that close amongst all the uh, all of the teams. As Bill Murray added, said in, in Ghostbusters, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Yeah, mass hysteria. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Especially if the Patriots can pull this off and. And, and my, you know, it's funny about Miami last year. And a lot of this had to do with injury, okay? Um, and, and, and good for the Dolphins this year because after they lost their first game to Buffalo, they did rebound and win the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. But do you remember the Dolphins last year? They were 3-0, and and they were 3-3. Three and three. Mm-hmm. And then they were 8-3, and three, and then they were 8-8. Eight and eight. Mm-hmm. So they won three, lost three, won five, lost five. And then beat the Jets in that snoozer at the end, and then lost the playoff game. Right. This year they're five and two. Now they got they, they really got their hands headed helmets headed handed to them in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I heard a lot of squawking about referees, and the Eagles had no penalties, and the Dolphins had ten. John, I don't know about you. When you run for minus seven yards in the first half, you know. Call me crazy, but I think you might be getting dominated the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, that that was not pretty, and I know they've had and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. They they have had some problems recently in their offensive line, and they yeah. just lost uh, lost expatriate uh, Isaiah Wynn to the IR. So their 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 uh, troubles on the offensive line are very patriot like, at least how it was around here yeah. just a few short weeks ago. And one of the real intrigues of the game on Sunday is if the Patriots' defensive front is in position to be able to take advantage. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, when they played each other earlier this year, Miami, I mean, New England hung around to save the lead. And New England's biggest problem in that first meeting was actually stopping the Patriots' running game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really beat them with the, with the ground attack. It wasn't so much, you know, well, listen, Tyree Hill does something to everybody. Let's, let's not ignore that, okay? But that was really the difference in the game. But you remember the, the, the Patriots' first two games against Philadelphia and Miami were, were, were kind of the same. They fell behind early and hung around but just couldn't make that final push at the end and make the big play, which is completely opposite of what happened against Buffalo last week. Right. Okay. Right. They're trailing, and this time they pull it off. And maybe they gain a little confidence in doing that. So I'll be curious to see how Miami physically and emotionally 
bounces back from this game. I know they were disappointed, obviously, to lose at Buffalo in the way they lost at Buffalo. The Philadelphia game, to me, was a little different. Again, it's not as important as the Buffalo game, but it was the way they kind of got pushed. I mean, this was a team that's rolling up. They had 244 total yards against Philadelphia. Okay, they barely even tried to run the football. And, and listen, Philly with Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and already, you know, Brandon Craig, I mean, they're loaded on the defensive front again. I don't have to remind Patriots fans what a big difference that was 60 years ago when sure. those two teams played in the Super Bowl. Sure. That's, you know, that's Howie Roseman's for And by the way, a team that's been shaky against the past, just went out and got one of the best ball hawks in the league in Kevin Byard. Yeah, right, right. Hey, there are just a couple of other games, though, that I, I find, you know, intriguing, although I would have to say that most of them are kind of meh for even yeah. interconference games. But one of them uh, has to be Bengals at the 49ers because the Bengals, everybody thought would be good, and they've struggled out of the gate. The 49ers, everybody thought they'd be good, and I was frankly surprised they got beat by Minnesota. I think it was the way they got beat by Minnesota. Um, you know, and, and Minnesota defensively, we know, has been iffy for the last couple of years. Daniel Hunter is one of the best pass rushers in the league, but they don't stop a lot of people. Uh, I think Kirk Cousins kind of gets a bad rap. Um, and But he was, he threw an early interception, and then he was almost flawless. Yeah. I want to say San Francisco gave up 459 total yards. Yeah. That's... Uh, you can't blame that on Brock Birdie. Right. I know he threw some interceptions. Uh, and they, you know, they, it, I, I think they had another turnover as well. Okay. But it was that. Think about what San Francisco looked like the first five weeks of the season, John. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind on, uh, on Monday night, I don't think they stacked Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Didn't get to him at all. No, I don't think so. Huh? 378 yards against that defense. Yeah. And that's just, that was amazing to me. Yeah. So I, it, it's very interesting. Again, how does the team handle losing after not losing for a while? Remember, San Francisco won 15 straight regular season games. If you include the playoff loss at Philly, they were 16 and one, not 17 and one, in their previous 18 games. Okay, because remember they beat uh, they beat Seattle and Dallas in the playoffs last year before the NFC title game. Yep. So this was a team that got used to winning, and now all of a sudden this, and you know, could the bet you know the the Bengals have won two in a row. Um, the Niners have lost two in a row. Are, are, are we seeing like ships passing in the night here? Um, by the way, for the Bengals, the good news is they have won two in a row. You know who else has won two in a row? The Ravens, the Steelers, and the Browns. Hmm. The whole division is riding a two-game winning streak. Yeah, that whole division is playing like, you know, I know that everybody's talking about the NFC East and even the AFC East as being the t- best division. Uh, I would I would beg to differ at this stage of the game. Well, Baltimore is really fascinating. Um, first off, they, they've given up six offensive touchdowns this year in seven games. They've given up six points in the fourth in the first quarter, outscored the opposition fifty five to six. Wow. And Lamar Jackson See what good starts will do for you? Don't get me wrong. He has been pretty sharp throwing the football, okay? Would it surprise you to know that Lamar Jackson has already turned over the ball eight times in seven games? You know, th- that's totally been hidden by their overall success. Yes, 
because I think they've been able to overcome that. I think in past years, when he has gotten into those turnover ruts, they've had their issue. Now, a bunch of those games came in the loss to the Steelers. I understand that. But you would have never thought that last week. There, I mean, they had five touchdown drives. That was, It was like watching Michigan against Michigan State, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, long touchdown drives against what we thought was a pretty good Detroit defense. But, yes, I think I want to say right off the top of my head that Lamar has fumbled eight times and lost five of them. Wow. And I think he has three interceptions. It's crazy. And yet Somewhere teams... in that regard. So eight turnovers in seven games by the quarterback, and yet because of their defense, because of their pass rush, they have been able to overcome mistakes that I would say in the last three or four years they weren't able to overcome. Yeah, I know. That's 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 a great story within the story as far as the Ravens yeah. are concerned, you know, and about the success that the Ravens are having thus far. Hey, one more I wanted to ask you about uh, quickly, Russell, uh, is the Monday night game because I, I just I was really disappointed in Detroit last week, and I I'm kind of kind of you know figuring out if my new favorite team other than, other than New England is closer to what we saw last week, or are they closer to what we saw in the previous five weeks or six weeks before that? Uh, they're home against the Raiders, which means they at least have a chance to get well again on Monday night, but what the hell happened to Detroit? Well, I, I guess people who told you they were good, they were lying. Oh! Ba-dum. Okay. Yeah, no, actually, that crash, that was the Lions last week. Um, I mean, it was, you know what it was interesting was Last year, you'll remember the Lions won eight of their last ten games. Yeah. And their defense looked like it was making a turnaround. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had just written it. It has nothing to do with me, but I had just written a piece about give the Lions defense some credit. Well, I wrote that piece a couple of days before they went to Carolina. And Carolina laid 320 yards rushing on them late in the year. Yeah. That, in essence, it's probably the game that cost them the playoff first. Last year, they got destroyed by the Panthers. They gave up over 500 yards of total offense. That's the same thing that happened to them. I think it was 522 by the Ravens on Sunday. I mean, they, that was they didn't lay an egg. That was a frittata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I you I you could have bet me any amount of money that we would not get the word frittata into the show today. Well. I, I'm going to let you think about that. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to let you think Good about work. that one. <laughs> We're almost done, right? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's going. <laughs> We're going to be Humpty Dumpty before too long. <laughs> oh, you the man. You the man, as always. Always good to talk football with you, my friend. Isn't it fun? Yes, it is. This is great. This is great. I could sit here and I could talk just football, football, football forever. And I realize, you know, there is a little bit of a time, you know, restraint here. But still, it's just, it's good conversation. I, I could, you know, I, I could dance around this all day. It beats the hell out of working. I'll tell you that. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, here's why I'll say that. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox. This is what sports talk is. Okay? Well, it should if be. Want, it should be. Want, yeah, I know. I, I mean, those there's sports scream, there's mm-hmm. sports yell, sports yell, there's sports anger. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. when you and I get together, sports talk. We talk about the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but it takes a couple of old fogies to teach the new kids how to do it. Well, 
the new the, the, the new kid the new kids are all too busy unfortunately trying to shout over each other that's also true that's also yeah. true. So that's fine. If you like shouting, that's great. Go for it. But if you don't, well, you know, you got an alternative. Well, I, I got you. Some of these guys out here don't make me want to shout. Yeah. I can tell you that. Boy, that's also true. I heard a little bit of that earlier today myself. Thank you, oh, my well, friend. What's that? It's funny because you can hear them and you don't even have the volume. Up. Oh, no. Absolutely. That, that's 100% true. 100% true. Talk to you next week, my, my friend. See you then. You got it. All right. Russell Baxter, the one and only. At Bax Football Guru on X. Uh, he's one of those guys that's forgotten more football than I know. But that's it's always good to talk with them. Uh, Daniel's in Pennsylvania. I'm going to give Daniel the last word of the program today. Hey, Daniel, you're in the playbook. Hey there. Uh, I'm uh, calling because, honestly, I was really shocked about the, uh, the Saints' incredible thrashing of the Patriots. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't think that it was going to happen in that way. Uh, Patriots are my favorite team. And uh, I guess I just had a question. Um, Shoot. Do you, uh, do you like four dicks in your mouth or just three? Really? Yeah. Really? What are you, a jerk? That, that, was, that was totally uncalled for, right? That's the first time I think that's happened in 22 years. That must be one of those young guys that, you know, clearly has his head up his ass, right? No kidding. And we don't have a dump button for that thing, do we? (laughs) Podcast, not radio. I know, exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. And he waited how long to be able to say that? That shows, you know, a good level of intelligence, I think, right there. Or maybe lack thereof. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we'll earmark that guy for next time, all right? Unless he's going to call in with another name and from, you know, some other place like hell. I don't know, maybe no, one way or the other. Hey, thanks to <laughs> – no sweat off my nose. I've been accused of a lot worse, trust me. Uh, thanks to our guest today. Uh, we had Chad Graffon from The Athletic, Armando Salguero from uh, Outkick, uh, covering the Miami Dolphins, amongst other items. Uh, obviously the one and only Evan Lazar, Russell Baxter, you know, heading around. uh, God, is this already week? Oh, my God, eight? We're damn near halfway through the season. Past this week, we are halfway through the season, which is stunning for me to even realize. Stunning. So, um I, I, there, there's a there's a little part of me that wants to think, you know, uh, it's not over yet. Just a little part of me, right? But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, let's be real about this thing. What we've seen and what we just saw are two completely different things. Is it growth? Is it uh, a turnaround? Is it, you know, for the better, for the worse? I, I don't know. It just seemed like there was a confluence of things this last week that pointed toward the Patriots playing well. I, I mentioned to Miss Robin in the booth before the game on Sunday. I said, you know what? I actually have a pretty strange feeling about this one. And she says, I do too. I think the Patriots win today. I'm like, well, I don't know if I go that far, but I think it'll be a good game. And sure enough, it turned out to be the best game. It was one of the most entertaining games we've seen in a long time. Long time. Fortunate that New England won the game. But I, I, I had that good feeling. And I'd be hard-pressed to think differently from thinking that the Patriots might, might have a bit of a run in here. Or at least have one within them. I don't know what that translates to. 
But the schedule is certainly going to translate into their favor. So if that's the case, then, um, yeah. okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Maybe I better stop before I get going because <laughs> then I'll get accused of being a homer. I, you know, hey, every once in a while you, you wave the pom-poms. But uh, we, we try to do it somewhat intelligently, at least on this program. And, um, look, if, they, if the Patriots can find a way to win in South Florida, which, again, as we dictated earlier in the show, uh, was, has been difficult to do. They've lost eight of the last ten that they've played in Miami uh, coming into this one. So, but if they figure out a way to turn that around and get a win, you're at three and five, and you get an opportunity to play your way right back into this thing. But I think it has to start with this weekend. Does that mean you slam the door shut of the season if they lose? No, I think most everybody expects them to lose. To be honest with you, and they and they and they might. I, I mean, I, okay. I would expect him to be a favorite in this thing anyway, to be honest with you. Um, what's the latest spread on this game? Uh, Dolphins are a what? 10-point favorite? Yeah, about 10 right now is the last the last spread that I saw in the game. You know, I think the Patriots make it a game. I don't know if they win it with a 10-point, you know, being a 10-point road dog, but um, I think there's an opportunity that uh, – uh, you know, if they make this a game and make it a one-possession game and not shoot themselves in the foot, that, you know, they could cause Miami some trouble. And they do know Miami, and I would be surprised if the Patriots came in and played them the same way that they did back in the, you know, the, the second week of September. So, at any rate, it's all on the table for uh, Sunday in a 1 o'clock kickoff Eastern time in South Florida. Thanks to our guest. Thanks to Maureen. We'll go St. Pat's time, St. Pat's channel, right here on Patriots.com radio next Wednesday. And we'll see. But at least they're giving us something positive to talk about, right? (laughs) Talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.